Bought a mic. Well, bam. That's what our fans have started calling it around uh, By us. My, in, in my room. In the streets. <laughs> I'm your host, Ernest Calderon. I am also your host, Hunter Mobley. I'm your host, Drew Dietzen. And uh, here at We Bought a Mic, we like to talk about the latest in the film, TV, cinema, music, uh, stratosphere. Yeah, yeah just... Anything that sort of fancies our pop yeah. culture tinglings. You know, I gotta be honest. Doesn't the room feel a bit empty after our famous cross? Wow, that was insane. That was a fun time. What a crazy ep. I mean, that's that's the one that's gonna go down in the history books. You I know? think I think it went well. I mean, I think it did too. We're a young pod. We you know what matters is that we had fun. Hello. We did have we did have a lot of fun. We had a freaking blast. Because I wouldn't be doing this with you guys if it wasn't fun. For those of you who uh, aren't caught up, um, last weekend we did a cross-pod extravaganza with our sister, a little baby infant, in the fetus <laughs> sister. Yeah, our, our twin that we absorbed in the womb. The uh, Snyder Colin podcast. Yeah. And if you're wondering, cross-pod actually stands for crossover podcast. If you're, you know, uh, if you're a a fucking dumb plebe, or, yeah, yeah come on, know. gotta shorten things. But I guess we're back to business now. Back to regular old, just the the core trio here. Trying to keep it real. All right, guys. Let's start out with a little bit of fan mail. Okay? So, we had our first iTunes review. What? Ooh. Is it from someone that we know? It is. (laughs) Shout out to Dad. Your dad? Shout out to our collective Papa. Rafa? Yeah, my dad left us a a review. And it's actually really good. All right, I'm going to read it now. He says, brighter and breezier. This podcast is great. True pop culture podcasts are all the rage right now. And every time you hear a new one being promoted, it can be hard to find the sensation that this is just another border on the bandwagon. But to make that assumption about WBAM, wabam. Whoa, he abbreviated. He knows. I think he misspelled it. Yeah. It's, he put W-B-A-N, oh boy. Oh boy. W- would be to miss out on one of those finest new podcasts around. Wow. So uh, this is pretty uh, congratulatory. I don't think we're quite there yet, but thanks, Dad. I, I I'm glad you believe in me. What an unbiased opinion. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if anybody's going to collect the dots and be like, wait a second, Raphael Calderon, yeah. Ernest Calderon. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you've heard it from us that we're great, and now you've heard it from Ernest's dad. Yeah, so we're legit. <laughs> so who else do you need? Okay, actually, our boy uh, Danny writes to us from Orlando, Florida. Shout out to Danny. And he says, yo, 
I was listening to your podcast while at work, and goddamn, I have to say, I'm really impressed. Great stuff you guys got going on, and you just came out the gate running full force, and you seem to have most of it down. Watching H3H3 struggle to have a podcast Ooh. made me think you guys would take some time to form. Uh, enemy of the podcast, Ethan <laughs> Klein of H3 hey, Productions. Hey. Don't, don't love don't that burn Love the content. <laughs> I can't wait for future episodes. Wow, guys. I well, guess. Are you, are you right with the emphasis? You put some emphasis and there's parts there. Is there like parts underlined? No, in that it's message? text. I mean, I'm trying He's to. I'm trying to, to channel oh. the 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 commenter. <laughs> You're bringing his true yeah, feelings yeah, and emotions. He's channeling through. Danny. For a second, I was like, Danny. Yeah. Where's Ernest? Then he goes on to say, "You guys really sound like you've been doing podcasts for years." So at this point, we can just quit. You know. Yeah. Well, I yeah. think it's more what he's noticing is that we've actually just been arguing about film for years with, <laughs> yeah. with no microphones. Exactly. On. <laughs> we were just pretending we were buying micro microphones this whole time. Yeah, then we were like, we should just like do it. Actually, no. let's just buy a mic. But thanks, guys. Thanks for writing to us. Keep yeah. sending us that love. Much appreciated. Send in uh, send questions. In send, send in hate too. Yeah, we still haven't no, gotten hate. No, mail. don't send us hate. I want to be trolled. <laughs> um, John Gabris does a thing on his podcast, High and Mighty, where if you leave a five star review, he'll read it. So like, people leave five star reviews and then they just roast the fuck out of them in the review. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Jimmy Kimmel thing, kind of the Twitter. Yeah, yeah, mean tweets. Yeah, mean do. tweets. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess we can we can get into that. Just hate us. Like we'll, we'll have whatever. a good. Yeah, we'll have I don't a, give a shit we'll anymore. You, as long as you listen, you can hate listen to us. Yeah, like, that's I'm, fine. This may be the last episode ever if we all get washed away by this hurricane. Yeah. So we, Shout out to Hurricane Irma. Yeah. So for all we know, this could be the series finale. So fuck it, man. Just live life. You know. Yeah. Carpe diem. You guys Carpe got any- them diems. You guys got any big plans for the hurricane? Gonna go surfing or something? Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna run straight into the storm. I'm gonna go surfing in my backyard because that's where the water's gonna be. <laughs> Heyo, Gilby! Shout out to Houston. Oh no! <laughs> you know one thing I won't be doing: directing Star Wars. Oh, much like who Colin Trevorrow. Who, are, who is this guy, Colin Trevorrow? I, I will give credit to uh, Colin. Colin co- totally called this on the last Colin podcast. Colin Goody, not Colin Trevorrow. Yeah. yeah, not Colin Trevorrow. Yeah, no always cre- very mistaken commonly. <laughs> yeah, no credit for Colin Trevorrow. All credit <laughs> for Colin Goody. I mean, I had a theory that this might have happened, especially after the Book of Henry got such negative reviews. I felt like it was it was definitely a possibility. I'm more excited of who could take over in Colin Trevorrow's place. I think that's the question right now is, you know, this is an opportunity to bring in someone really cool to the fold. Yeah. Maybe a female director or like some sort of minority voice. It's funny that like whenever there are like big rumors going around about these huge blockbusters, no women are even mentioned really. Never. It's, it's pretty embarrassing that it would be a great moment for a woman to direct a star Wars movie. Yeah. Especially because Kathleen Kennedy is the the boss over there. You know, she's running the show at Lucasfilm. Yeah. Why doesn't she hire a female? Catherine Bigelow. Huh? Yeah, yeah uh, I could go without I that. Think, I don't know if you guys. <laughs> she slash could, film. She could do a good Star Wars movie. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Slash film uh, posted something actually just today about. It was kind of a click holy title, but it was like seventeen directors who could or should make Star Wars Episode Nine. I was like, is this click hole? No, it's just slash film. So I'll actually read it. Okay. But uh, among the names, uh, Ryan Coogler was on there. Yeah, Coogler. Coogler would be really good. Yeah. Ava DuVernay. We have yet to see Black Panther, so we don't know how he operates on a large blockbuster scale. Yeah. But Creed 
is incredible. I'm, Creed is yeah. such a good film. I have high expectations for Black Panther. I'm excited for it. Oh, yeah. I think it's going to be one of the better Marvel movies if uh, the trailers yeah. and just the people behind it have and anything, you any know indication. What? Uh, this is a message for Colin Trevorrow, close friend of the podcast, frequent listener. If you're feeling down, the sun will come out. Trevorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that Trevorrow. <laughs> there will be sun. <laughs> what do you think the likelihood of Ryan Johnson just being hired on I, to just episode I think direct it's episode actually nine. very likely. Um, Especially with hearing about how well he gets along with everybody involved at Star Wars. It just, I Disney. think it just depends on how long they're willing to keep this project without yeah. a director. If they want to wait until episode eight comes out and see how people like it and see how it does, you know, they can wait a few months and wait till January to announce that Ryan is in fact going to, or maybe they're, they'll just be really confident and announce it before episode eight comes out, before The Last Jedi comes out. Worst case scenario, uh, Lucas comes in and he's like, fuck you yeah. guys. Okay, oh, actually, a lot of people have been saying that. And there was a petition going around um, a few months ago, maybe like a year ago, to replace uh, Trevorrow with Lucas. You that's know? stupid. That's, that's literally asking for episode nine to be a disappointment at that point. He said recently in an interview that his favorite character is Jar Jar. Wait, who? George Lucas. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Is he being serious? He was no, yeah, he was not joking. Oh fuck. Um <laughs> we're all fucked. That's just the level want, he's at. I, that's what I want from episode nine is I want it to be Jar Jar's redemption story. Oh. I mean at this point, you know, that would be a if 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 they managed to pull that off. <laughs> they wouldn't pull it off. <laughs> they would make it. It would it be would the suck. greatest movie ever made. <laughs> Just like a like a Logan, but just called Jar Jar. Exactly, yeah. The, I've I've pitched that before. I just I want there to be like I don't want somebody like a Ron Howard to come in who like I mean no offense no. to Ron Howard but he's just kind of just a straight studio man. He's just gonna do exactly what Disney wants and not really put any of his own flair on it or well, anything else. I mean I think Ron Howard's a great director. No, I'm saying no offense to Ron Howard. Like I mean he's good at what he does. He's gonna make a perfectly good movie. Will you know? he though? With the Han Solo, yeah, a, a perfectly fine. It'll yeah, be, it'll be fine, just. Fine, it will not. You know. It'll not be bad. Exactly. Yeah. That's what we know about that movie. Yeah. Um, it, it's not going to be incredible. Like Rogue One, you know, it'll be. It'll be good. Yeah. It'll be good. It's pretty good. I didn't yeah. really like Rogue One. Uh, I mean, I'm lower on Star Wars than most people are in general, but Rogue One, I don't think that you can call it a good movie if half the movie I was, like, fucking sleeping, basically. Yeah, um, it That's, takes a while to get into it, but the the end is... The end, end is good. Yeah. So good. The end is really good. Yeah. Um, I just didn't care for essentially any of the characters in it. Yeah, because you know none of them are going to survive. I mean, yeah. just the fact that you care a little bit about them, I, I guess, says something about the film... But in the end, it's it just becomes a little bit of a nostalgia trip to the original Star Wars. I've heard a few uh, dark horse candidates for this job, possibly, including a couple DC directors possibly coming over, including Patty Jenkins and Matt Reeves. Uh, Snyder? I think... Um, sny Sny? <laughs> I think Matt Reeves is a little too busy right now prepping the Batman that he would jump onto Star Wars. Yeah, but I mean, maybe if, if DC doesn't fully commit to Patty Jenkins soon for... Wonder, Wonder Woman, Woman 2, 2 then yeah. she might just be like, well, I mean, fuck what it. What is going on over at Lucasfilm? Like, what are they doing? They're just they're tossing doing, out directors like it's They're nothing. doing fucking rails of cocaine is what they're doing. <laughs> oh, my God. I just want, <laughs> I want them to be like, and the directors for Star Wars Episode Nine are 
Lord and Miller and just bring it back one more time for you guys. Oh my uh, God. Let's try and then fire them again. again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then I am like, glad. I'm really glad that this is happening now that they realize that Chavaro isn't a good fit as opposed to doing all of the shooting. And yeah. then that's it's I feel like it's going to make for a much better product than now when they just have to basically remake and like recut well, everything together. From well, they have had um, to redo a lot of the prep work for this movie because they wanted episode seven to be Harrison Ford's movie, then eight to be Mark Hamill's movie, and then nine would be Carrie Fisher's movie. But now that she's that she's passed away, and you know, who knows uh, where her soul yeah. went? <laughs> I'll tell you where into CGI form. Yeah, CGI Carrie Fisher. No, they promised that they wouldn't do that oh, to her. God, I yeah. mean, yeah, no fucking. We got the way. one shot of her in Rogue One, and apparently that's the end of it. Well, and also to be fair, when they did that shot, it was before she died, so it wasn't in completely poor right, taste. Right, right. Unlike yeah, but Tarkin, now it's just like oh boy. She was great in Catastrophe before she died, though. That was, yeah, probably her best role. Catastrophe. I don't think we've talked about it on the pod before. Great show. It's on Amazon uh, Prime streaming, starring and written by and uh, possibly directed in some cases, but mostly written by Rob Delaney of Twitter fame and then Sharon Horgan, who's a really funny actress and TV writer. Yeah, Rob Delaney. Rob, Rob Delaney's just known for his Twitter. I mean, Grant, he does that's have like, where the he, best he Twitter. He got famous from that's, tweeting. Yeah. He was one of the first to get famous from tweeting. And then after him, like Megan Amram got a job from her, her tweets. Not all entirely her tweets, but she got a network sitcom job. Yeah. Because she had probably 600,000 followers. But he, yeah, he was one, one of the original uh, Twitter people. Folk, he's been a stand-up for a long time. Um, he's so good in Catastrophe. Catastrophe is Especially a, in the newest season, yeah. which is season three. He goes full dark. Yeah. Like It's an unbelievably dark uh, comedy. Um, it's, it's, the, it's, yeah, it's essentially the plot is these two people who um, hook up and she gets the girl gets pregnant and they decide to just go for it even though it's like a one night stand sort of deal like hook up they're like yeah why not like let's just have this kid together even though we don't know each other at all yeah that's uh i'm sure we could all recommend that show to anyone listening because it's it's really breezy to watch through the seasons are short because uh rob and sharon write every single episode there's no only six episodes per season there's no staff so it's it's a like it's a quality over quantity show um, you can go through a whole season in a whole day and it's just like, you know, it's like a snap of the fingers. It goes by like nothing. Yeah. And, um, you know, streaming services are the future with giving th- the creators this level of control and involvement. Like these yeah. two are catastrophe. Mm-hmm. And speaking of streaming services, Netflix has announced a new project called The Eddie Directed by Damien Chazelle. At least the first two episodes will be and ex- directed. And executive produced by Damien Chazelle. Yeah, so this is probably going to be Damien's next project after he finishes shooting the Does it have a title the moon yet? Movie. The moon movie? Yeah, the Armstrong. Not Lance. <laughs> Neil. They're the same person. <laughs> Snyder. <laughs> um, so yeah, what do you guys think about this? The Eddie. Okay, here's what I think. I haven't heard about this until right now. So tell me about oh, it. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited okay, for it. Okay, so it's supposed to center around a club in Paris, France. That mm-hmm. sounds already up Chazelle's alley. Yeah, Some... and they're, apparently they're going to shoot it in Paris. Do they perchance play jazz there? I think so. I think, I think that he's trying to save jazz. That's just that's just a guess. I'm just going out there. Yeah. Yeah. So this show is uh, supposed to be a period piece. I think it takes place in what the early 20th century. It's deadlines calls it a musical drama series. Yeah. It's supposed to be eight episodes. Um, 
musical. I know it's made by the guy. Uh, let me. Yeah, the music is Glenn Ballard mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of uh, Michael Jackson Bad and Thriller fame. So this is a heavy hitter producer composer working mm-hmm. with the winner of the Best Director Oscar from last year, Mr. Chazelle. And it's a uh, oh, an EP of it is Alan Poole of Six Feet Under, which wow. is which is by all means an incredible HBO show. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, then, I'm, yeah, I'm extremely excited about it. Like, I'm excited for any choice that Damien Chazelle makes because at this point he's reached the level of directing where he can basically pick and choose any project that he wants yeah, to no. take. And every single project is about jazz so far. Yeah. <laughs> and it continues the trend of Netflix picking up big time directors. Exactly. You know, I mean, they look got at Fincher, Scorsese. I mean, if Barry you, Jenkins, mm-hmm. they have a decent enough track record that if they have so much fucking money that they're throwing around. So why would these directors not sign with Netflix at this point? It's just as prestigious as signing with like Paramount, you know? Oh, more, more so yeah, at no, this point. Exactly. It's, there's, it's not like it used to be. It's not like, oh, I'm going to be on movies and nothing else. Like, yeah. I mean, one thing I do hope, I guess it, it might not happen just because this is a series and not like a Netflix movie, but I wish that Netflix would go the route of Amazon. How Amazon released Manchester by the Sea this past year was it showed in, in theaters. theaters. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what I wish that they would do is they would release it to actually play in a movie theater as opposed to everybody just watching it on their home TV or on their cell phone or something. I mean, we know that Chazelle is very, very capable of creating something that looks incredible on the big screen. I, I wish I could have seen Whiplash on the big screen. That oh, would have yeah, been yeah. absolutely just gut-wrenchingly <laughs> fucking crazy. Just visceral. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's move on to our last little bit of movie news today. Indiana Jones 5 uh, officially is bailing on the Shia LaBeouf character. I thought what? that was old news. I, I mean, it, I was, think, it was assumed. I yeah. think this is the first official confirmation of it, even though we we pretty much knew. Yeah, Shia is too busy yeah. doing like weird art projects. Yeah, Shia is never going to make a it's, big movie again. It's really, it's just like the uh, Jared Leto Joker thing where like we all knew they weren't going to continue that thread, you know, like mm-hmm. they're, they're not going to do it. No, Jared Leto is still going to be the Joker. He, what? Yeah. No, do we yeah. not talk about this? How they're making two Joker origin movies? I thought yeah. they were ditching him. I've read things no, that said they no, were No, they're casting him. another Joker, but they're still going to keep... They're going to do a, a Joker I don't know what's going Harley. on. They're going to do a... Well, I mean, as far as we know, they're going to do a one uh, Joker origin story that will take place before he actually becomes the Joker. That's supposed to be the dark and gritty one. And then they're doing... A Joker story that's a Joker Harley Quinn movie, which that, we all wanted. And then another Joker. That's such a great idea. You know, I, you want to confuse your audience. Also, like, I mean, Suicide Squad was terrible, but, like, don't they show you enough of Joker and Harley Quinn's relationship? Do we really need a whole I movie still have about that? I've not seen Suicide Squad. I never will. So. You see them, or they go into the pool of acid or whatever the fuck happens. Anyway, back to, back <laughs> to Indy, Indy 5. <laughs> matters. Do we? What do you guys think of uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? Do you think that they're just going to retcon that and it's not even going to be? God, I hope so. I I mean, yeah, I don't see why they would refer to it. No one liked it. (laughs) Well, I mean, actually, it's funny that you say that because I remember when that movie came out, it didn't get wide negative reviews or anything. No, and I remember seeing it like with my friends. It got like pretty like 
mid to good reviews. Yeah, no, like I remember seeing good. it with friends whenever it came out, and everybody was like, oh, man, we're so excited. And whenever you left the theater, I don't remember who exactly I went with, but they were just like, oh, my God, that was great. And I was like, really? But I was, what yeah, What about no. when the alien showed up? I and, saw it with a group of friends. It was like eighth grade, I'm going to guess. Yeah. And like, we were we were right. collectively like, well, you know, like even for a bunch of 13-year-olds, we were like, yeah, it was okay. Um, and it's a movie that just completely falls apart the more that you think about it like just the whole very beginning where a newt goes off and indy just like pops right out of a fridge yeah. just like yeah, yeah i'm fine well, you're like you know uh who really came down on it before it was cool to was the south park boys yeah. they had the entire episode about how they how george lucas was raping indiana <laughs> that's, jones that's one of my favorite episodes <laughs> yeah. like the george lucas spielberg yeah, <laughs> yeah lucas is fucking him and spielberg is watching <laughs> Um, and apparently that came, that plot came like most of their plots do on South Park. It came organically cause they went and saw it and, uh, they Matt, just wrote the episode. W- once they left, Matt Stone just kept on being like, it was a rape. Like that was a rape. And so they just made it like, they're like, okay, a literal rape. yeah. So they're like interior, oh my God. <laughs> a movie theater. <laughs> I, oh, but Harrison Ford, this could be like his last, like big movie that he does i guess in D5. well yeah because i think he's going back think- to to redo all his old movies and hand them <laughs> off to a do a you think that uh, you think they're gonna do the exact same treatment as they did for the force awakens where he'll just be like killed at the end of the movie to make sure that everybody knows he's not coming back probably i mean you could if only see, shia was there we know that's <laughs> definitely gonna happen with blade runner like it has to yeah it's probably going to, yeah. but I mean, you could just see on Harrison's face when he was promoting the force awakens, just how happy he was like, mm. I'll never have to He's do this like, again. Thank God I am done with this. <laughs> what's, what's Nobody good. You'll call me hand solo ever. Yeah. again. God. What's good with Harrison Ford is that he never devolved into what Jack Nicholson started doing where he would be like, like the weird romantic. Comedies. Yeah, exactly. He never yeah. became like the older B story of a, of a rom-com. Yeah. Cause Jack did that about seven times. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure he cast checks, but it, I mean, some of those movies were good. Yeah. Um, like a couple, like one or two of them, at least something's got to give. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I haven't as seen good it as it gets. Yeah. What's, as good as it gets. Oh God. What is the movie <laughs> I'm thinking of? Um, What's that movie where uh, he's like the father, and then like I think Ben Stiller's in it, and they come to meet the house the, and meet the parents. Well, no, that's I mean, no, it's meet that, the that Robert that's De, Niro. De Niro. Oh no, it's De Niro. De Niro and yeah. Jack both did. Yeah, that. I mean they both did that. And Harrison yeah. Ford never did. Yeah. Well, Dustin Hoffman was in Meet the Fockers because he played uh, Stiller's dad. Right. So it was like Hoffman and De Niro together. <laughs> I have nipples. Can you milk me? <laughs> that's such a good movie i don't care what anyone says is it is it though? yeah dude those movies the are truth fucking comes out hilarious <laughs> me little fuckers is bad little fuckers what? is the third one yeah i saw that that sucked yeah. i mean you think that you me and dupree is a good movie so i'll just well, it's not directed by the russo brothers <laughs> and it's okay it's owen wilson unleashed <laughs> <laughs> he goes full Owen debris. Unchained. Yeah, folks. basically. Oh wow. He's just being oh, Owen wow. Wilson and he just ruins wow. people's lives. I set wow. my sister on fire. Exactly. <laughs> All he's doing is being Owen Dupree. Wilson. <laughs> my house is gone. I will say, we've seen that movie. It it's not as bad as like the the percentage of memes that it gets would indicate. Oh, it's, I think it's very meme worthy. Well, it's, 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 no, it's meme worthy, but it's not an awful movie. It's like a serviceable, like stupid rom com. If you're like, yeah. oh, I'm gonna watch a stupid rom com, it'll give you everything you want. But then you factor in the whole, you know, 
Owen Wilson operating on like another level of reality <laughs> where he's just he's just literally just being himself but everything around him is falling apart. He's like, "Wow, I'm playing stickball with yeah. an Asian boy. I can't help it. I'm just I'm just Owen Wilson. I just got a big nose." Yeah, post nose break Owen Wilson. That that movie must have been shot like right around the year that he attempted suicide. <laughs> <laughs> you mean debris is the reason why Owen Wilson? I mean, I'm not this. saying. Also, Darjeeling was right around that time too, which is an amazing movie. That's the one where he actually <laughs> broke his nose. Yeah. All right, guys, let's move on to what we've been watching. You go first. Season four of Halt and Catch Fire. Oh, hey. let's touch back base on this. Are you caught up on her? Yes, I, uh, I watched the latest episode last night. Good on you. Good yeah, on so you. we're only two episodes in. Well, technically three, three. because the first two were a, a twofer. Mm-hmm. So this is episode three. And at this point in the story, we have uh, Scoot's two daughters basically becoming main players. Yeah, yeah. Which very I'm, exciting. I'm very glad about this because Scoot's older daughter... Um, well, Gordon's older daughter. Oh my god! Up to this Gordon point, Clark. up to this point in the movie, she has suffered from teen girl, like you know, older male screenwriters don't know how to write for teen girl syndrome, which plagues like almost every teen girl character and everything, where they, all they do is be shitty. Yeah. Um. So I'm excited to see her. It it really seemed like they set her up for a part in the next step where she serves an actual purpose. Instead of just being a total I really, dick. I really hope so because, you, you know, if you look back at what's being set up in these two episodes, it's a rivalry between Scoot and Donna. Yeah. yeah the They're kids. going head to and head. And it's the, the children are being like, each of them is sympathizing with a different yep, parent. They're being recruited. Mm-hmm. And I it's think. It's really cool. I think I really that like final scene it. with Donna giving the speech at the dinner table to her coworkers mm. really drives home the point that she's not just being like the bitch yeah. like cunt character there's a lot more depth to it than i that. i actually wanted to talk about that scene because that was the best scene of the season for me um because it it reminded me of kind of transparent style writing where it starts as one thing and like up to that point in the episode i could tell all of us were kind of like not quite along for the ride we were just yeah, we're, was... kind, we're kind of cynically watching it yeah and that mm-hmm. scene is what really switched it because it starts off you feeling incredibly cringy and you're like, God, fuck Donna, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then she's she, trying too hard. And then, yeah. And then she genuinely surprises you and she, she surprises her dinner guests and she pulls that incredible speech and like everyone's teary eyed. It makes the audience feel something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was a very, very well written scene. Um, and it was just like we've been talking about with, with Halt and Catch Fire. It's all about the escalation every season. They start weaker and they, they do a reset. Yeah. So they start weaker and they finish stronger. And that's what I felt happening in Ep 3. I felt the turn coming where mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'm into it now. Yeah, Like we spent the, the first episode kind of getting to know what this new story was going to be. And I think it was a little bit jarring just to be like, okay, what's going on? How much time has passed? These people have changed so much. They're almost different characters. Yeah. But now with this next episode, it's almost like, okay, we're starting to see where the, these pieces are going. We're all along for the I will ride. Say, I really want to see how this whole Joe and Cameron relationship is going to work itself out because 
we've seen in the past just how toxic their relationship See, is. And it's a little bit too sunny and happy right now. Yeah, and I know exactly. that something terrible is about to happen. We are only three eps into the final yeah. season. Something's got to go down. They're not oh, just yeah. going to ride it out into yeah. the sunset. Which brings us to Scoot's brain condition, which they have yet to touch this yeah. season. Not S- even a hint. Scoot McNary has been suffering, especially in seasons uh, two and three, like pretty severe dementia. Like, He's, his, his brain is like they tell him like the, your brain is like deteriorating away basically yeah his brain was doing, basically like cooked eggs because like, he was just doing like a ton of cocaine and staying up like for five days straight and shit yeah, like that and, and like I don't know working with mercury in the computer yeah, or some yeah, shit yeah. <laughs> just things that are not good for you yeah it was a whole combination so, of shit and then now we're just led to assume that somehow he aged a bunch and he's better, which is not how dementia works. But there is a possibility that right now we're just watching just basically like just a period of time right before he's about to relapse, yeah. which I think that that's coming. I that's, think that they're going because everything's going way too smoothly for each of the characters right now. And there needs to be some really dramatic turn, especially for Scoot because yeah. he has never Scoot been is never this, on top. He's never, he's never been on, this top. on top of things. Like mm-hmm. he's got his own company. He's got he's his daughter on his side because mm-hmm. his daughter is now working on what is essentially Google with yeah. Joe McMillan. Yeah. And Which, by the way, Joni has done. I think that's Joni is the one who's working with Scoots with Gordon, right? Yeah. But uh, Joni, the actress who's playing Joni, has been like really impressive, especially in the last episode. She's yeah. been doing pretty well. Both daughters at, I at think. doing well. Yeah, I, I, I Joni has the more depth to her character. It's a well, so better, well written. I mean, that doesn't mean that the other daughter won't get more stuff written for her as the season yeah. goes on. But I hope to see more of Boz. Yeah, yeah. We, we've been a very late boss. Not a lot of boss. Yeah. I'll, I'll say I was very glad uh, that they humanized Donna because I don't want to see full on villain Donna. Yeah. I, I want her to still be a human because we already know she's a human. You can't just make her into, you know, we would have missed the whole arc of her becoming a full on villain. So I would have felt kind of robbed. Yeah. One thing that I'm not looking forward to is this dude who's like kind of being set up to be a future love interest of Donna. Who's just, it's like the same thing with Cameron's love interest where it's like, oh God, this is like the most yeah. basic. Basic ass douche. Yeah, it's like dude. who is this schmuck? Is yeah. that the same guy that she hooked up with? That there was the shot of her like telling him to stay when, when when she invites people to her apartment in the first episode. I don't know. I think that may have been a different guy. I think that that was a different. So person. Donna's yeah. like hooking up. Like she's she's getting some. Yeah, that divorce life. Yeah, but yeah, I mean they're both doing well after the divorce. Yeah, and then obviously there was the big uh, dinner confrontation scene, which both characters handled pretty well. Scoot held his own. He was like, "Hey, I was, I'm well within my rights to have my daughter on my side in this, and I was gonna tell you right now." So. Um, I think that that the whole setup for that is put them on a pretty even playing field, considering where Scoot has been. You know, like. It's pretty crazy to see them like right now, like prepared for an actual fight instead of just like Donna shitting on yeah. Scoot. I think it, that's a really interesting dynamic for this season, and, exactly. and puts it at a good, you know, end game, final finale season or two. Who this couple that started out together as like this beautiful, beautiful couple is now completely at odds, and they're going to be. And I think yeah. it's going to get ugly. I think it is too. I mean, I think that they're going to reach a point where they're basically building the exact same thing and they're just trying to one up each other yeah. and it's going to get and the family's going to get in the way the two daughters are going to be gonna siding it's going to turn with, the family against itself yeah and i can't wait to see it it's 
Halt and Catch Fire on AMC every Saturday night. Watch it. You still have time. Yeah. Catch up on Netflix. It's only 10 Talking episodes. Talking to you, Colin. Watch it, Colin. <laughs> only 10 episodes per season. If you like good character drama and you're interested in you know technology and the dawn of the internet and all yeah. that. And you don't even have to be interested in that. Uh, really because there's that's just a jumping off point. yeah because there's enough character stuff going on that you don't need to you know technology doesn't have to be like your thing to watch the show if you just if you like good writing if you like really good writing then just well made tv and this new season is taking some really interesting choices in terms of cinematography like they're giving it this really dreamy soft look a lot of soft lenses a lot of really like almost blurry shots yeah it it just shows you that they're still trying to do something what if everything we're seeing is a hallucination by scoot and we're going to reach a scene where scooch just sitting in a mental hospital oh my god he's sitting in a hospital playing on a ham radio and then a doctor who is donna is watching (laughs) him And she's like, he's getting worse. And there's a TV playing Blue Man Group in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, double his dosage. <laughs> and he's like, Google, Google. <laughs> and Joe comes in and Joe's his therapist. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I want this series to end. That's the only way I'm they'll accept it. Yeah. I, would, I would kill myself if that's how it ended. <laughs> That'd be such a cop out. That'd be such like a Tommy Westfall type deal. Oh my God. When everything's inside of a snow globe. Yeah. Is that the one? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um. All right. What else? What else do we? Can we get? take a break? Let's take a quick on? break uh, before we talk about Close Encounters of the Third Kind, fortieth anniversary re-release. Also, Rick and Morty. And well, Rick and Morty. Well, there was no Rick and Morty this week, but well, we can still talk. We didn't about talk it. about last week's. Let's talk about Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. Well, all right. We'll be right back. And The Wire. Dementia. <laughs> Let's talk about the Sopranos. <laughs> And we're back. Brastica. All right. Well, what else have we been watching, guys? Okay, I'm just gonna quickly brush over uh, the two-part season finale of Twin Peaks. <sighs> Give it a quick brush. Okay. So I will say. All right. That's it. After <laughs> after watching episode 17, I thought to myself, wow, David Lynch is actually going to tie up all the loose ends. This is like, this is crazy. This is actually happening. I'm going to be completely satisfied. And then part 18 came, which the is. The finale. Yeah. Which is. Wait, wait it was, I won't it was say a it was, twofer, right? It was it, a twofer. Yeah. yeah. Part 18 came and. I won't say it was disappointing, but it was one of the most frustrating hours of television that I've ever watched because watching part 18, it's like you're watching the first episode of a new season of Twin Peaks. It's like you're watching like a middle episode. It's not a fucking season finale. And that's exactly the point. And it opens up all of these other really crazy ideas that Twin Peaks has never explored before. And then it just... A Laura Palmer scream, scream and cut to black. And that's how the series is going to end forever. If well, you thought it like people, people were freaking out about the cliffhanger of the original series. And that is fucking nothing compared to how this series just ended. But maybe the, it was the Twin Peaks was the friends we made all along. <laughs> yeah. I, I read a no. quote. <laughs> okay. no, but, Hunter, sure. I want to ask you about this. I read a quote about David Lynch the other day. It said... David Lynch is the best person, the best filmmaker at getting into your head. But once he's in there, he doesn't really know what to do. 
Thoughts? I disagree with that because I will say, okay, for example, in like Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive is a movie that it's it, it's a puzzle that you have to put together. And when you put it together, it's extremely satisfying and gratifying and you're happy with the result. The season finale of Twin Peaks was like getting a puzzle that was missing about a quarter of the pieces. So like, and then you have pieces to a completely different puzzle. Well, and it's no, it's all part of that same puzzle, but it's just missing whole chunks of pieces that you need to actually connect everything. Cause you're sitting there trying to figure out everything. There's like a couple recurring like lines that are throughout uh, the season finale that have been spoken throughout the series. One of them is, is this future or is this past? And the other one is who is the dreamer? So you're just, it keeps repeating this and you're just thinking to yourself like, what am I watching? Is this in the future? Is this in the past? But how, I don't want to actually spoil What about the owls? The owls are not what they appear. (laughs) That's, that's in the original series. Are they still not what they appear? No, the owls, they appear. Okay. And they are. They appear as is. Okay. (laughs) Oh, shit. What is it? Is it, is it happening again? It is actually, it's not happening again. Okay. The more, because I, after watching the season finale, my whole take from it was, well, there has to be more. There has to be another movie or Yeah, maybe he'll series. do like another fire walk with me. But the thing, thing is, the more and more that I think about it, that wouldn't be the Lynchian way. Lynch is going to leave it exactly how it is, and he's just going to make everyone, because you, you can just draw your own conclusions from it. And it's so open-ended that you can take... 6,000 different things from it and interpret them in your own way. What if Showtime has uh, Lynch do something else? Like, what if they keep they him could, around? Yeah, they could just give him a tour, like an auteur yeah. contract where it's like, just make something. Uh, see, I don't I don't know. I, I like kind a of spiritual a, successor to I kind Peace. of have a feeling that this might be the last thing that David Lynch ever does. And He's if so, so like, old. I've loved the ride that this season has given me. It's been one of the best things I've ever watched. Just with how much, because there is still, there's a ton of really great payoff and so much uh, delayed gr- uh, satisfaction throughout the series. Stuff that you've been waiting for, for some people, for literally 25 years to like find out the answers to certain things. And there's still a lot of that, but it just, it wouldn't be a David Lynch show if everything just wrapped up nice and neat and tidy in a box it's just not the lynchian way. that's not the lynchian way like he has to leave stuff open for you to actually think about it yeah anyone who was expecting real closure was just bound for disappointment yeah i mean because the thing is david lynch is all about he he's not a true director as much as he is an artist a painter if you will he wants you to take your own (laughs) he wants you to take your own your own message away from whatever you watch of his it's it's exactly like looking at so, a painting. What do you think about? I don't know originally where it aired, but the thing on YouTube that's like uh, this bizarro sitcom with rabbits. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's made by David Lynch. And yeah. They, and, yeah, yeah, and they just say something rabbits. like, "They're coming soon," and then there will be like a, a full minute of laugh track and applause, and then it'll be like, "They haven't been here in a while." That sounds like the no, alphabet film. It's, that he yeah, did. yeah, yeah. It is. It's so it's really really creepy and that's unsettling. part of a, a series of short films they did like. Criterion? Right around Eraser. Well, it's actually it's on the Eraserhead Criterion. I think Rabbits, The Alphabet, um, another uh, short that he has called The Godmother. I think is what it's called. Um, but yeah, it's all like extremely art house shit, and it's really weird and bizarre, yeah. and challenges you to like 
really think about what Wait, you're watching. Wait, I have a question about Criterion. So with something like that, like David Lynch's short films, if it wasn't for Criterion, they would just be rolls of film somewhere. Like film reels yeah, just I mean, stocked basically. away in, I mean, in before, a drawer. You can still watch like the alphabet and all of his shorts on YouTube and stuff because they've been but uploaded But it'd be horrible stuff. quality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's why Criterion, uh, with a lot of stuff that they do, especially older films, they'll attach other things that that director is yeah. attached to or <sighs> attached to around that time that they were making that piece. Yeah, I guess Criterion is doing a lot of uh, heavy lifting, a lot of good work for old films that weren't quite big enough but still really good to be preserved but they didn't reach that level of fame that they were like re-released on dvd and blu-ray and all this stuff it's criterion makes some odd choices sometimes because i really understand whenever they re-release uh like a lot of foreign films and older stuff by people but then at the same time they just they did re-release this past year of boyhood yeah speaking of criterion i just got i showed you guys but i got a targeted ad on twitter for a streaming service called filmstruck yeah i'm familiar with struck well their their main hook that they offer is criterion uh material where they'll have it up for like a month or so from what i like learned from their twitter but they'll have like criterion releases for a minute like deals and then well no no, they'll just have things available to stream yeah it's like a netflix it's like a netflix for like premium tv and movies well yeah they have criterion stuff and then they also have uh according to their twitter bio art house documentary foreign and cult cinema um nice so it's the enzian of netflix (laughs) okay um but yeah, that that interested me, and I I had never heard of anything like that, and it seemed like a pretty big chunk of the market. Yeah, because like, a lot of times you can't find you know some of these classic films on any streaming sites. You'd have to order them on DVD, Netflix, go. old old school mail in Netflix. Netflix doesn't even offer a ton of stuff. Like I don't think that Netflix. I mean, they have the original Twin Peaks series on there, but. I don't think that there's any other Lynchian yeah, but things I, on there. I would be interested in this service because criteri- buying Criterion like Blu-ray is a fucking chunk of change. Are you saying, are you about to give an ad for our newest sponsor, Filmstruck, right now? No. Okay. <laughs> Do you hate going to the mattress store <laughs> every, every day, day of your life and buying Criterion Just- Blu-ray? rummaging through loot crate boxes when am yeah. i gonna get a casper mattress wow i guess i'll just wear me undies while i sit on all these mattresses mm. mattress after mattress is, oh. is me undies like an irish thing <laughs> i'll wear me undies <laughs> drew did you want to talk about uh rick and morty yeah we we haven't jumped in the most recent episode rest and yeah. relaxation we didn't get into it because uh thomas hadn't seen it and we didn't want to spoil yeah. it for him we got into the we didn't go too into it but the whirly Dirly conspiracy with uh the you know the jerry rick episode yeah so these last two episodes have been probably two of the strongest of the season and i think rest and Re- relaxation is probably one of the best episodes of the whole season yeah it's yeah. definitely my favorite of the year so far that's come out yeah it was really good it was kind of it was a classic episode uh by most standards it yeah. was it focused mainly on rick and morty yeah we have rick and morty split into the toxic versions of themselves and like the ideal versions of themselves but it's all we find out that it's all defined but by, by their own perception of themselves and what they see 
as toxic in their own personality. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was just fun. I mean, Dan Harmon loves doing like character exercises like this. He did it plenty in community, like the episode where Troy and Abed switch places, mm-hmm. like do the freaky Friday thing. This was kind of similar to that in that like they, their characters, it's just a perfect dichotomy of their positive traits and then their negatives. And you find that, uh, they're, I mean, essentially, you come to appreciate their negative traits because the moral of the story is there's really nothing happening. Yeah, it's not Rick and it's not Morty. Yeah, there's, there's without nothing, both the positive yeah, there's and nothing the interesting aspects. going on if they're just like perfect people. Yeah, um, I loved Morty in the latest episode though, like how cool Morty is. <laughs> oh yeah, watching him just like kind of casually like chat with people and just like talk their <laughs> yeah. fucking ears off was so fucking and not funny. being able to control <laughs> himself and just sounding like the most annoying person. Oh yeah, um, but. But then just watching him like interpret everything as a positive kind of like yeah. you could you could sometimes even see like his face kind of like how am I gonna make this a positive thing? yeah like when Jessica's basically telling him she doesn't want to date him yeah um so everything he's been waiting for yeah so it was, it was incredibly fun to watch that and then it was also fun to watch Rick be like a voice of reason because he's never been that before yeah it's it's a it's a really like it really flips the script yeah on but it was normally. it was more about the episode in general was more about how Morty's own inhibitions hold him back so much. Right. Um, but then also part of that is his conscience, his conscience, which is why he became like a wolf of wall street because he had, <laughs> he didn't have any fucking emotions. So he just played people. Yeah. He <laughs> could use a millionaire it to his instantly. Own advantage. Okay. Let's time move for on. Main, main segment time. Let's move on to close encounters of the third kind 40th anniversary re-release. So, Hunter and I got a chance to see this with Gaia the other night, and Drew, you uh, you see you see this just, movie? Just plug your ears while no, we talk about this. I'm gonna talk about a different movie, but <laughs> act like I'm in the conversation. <laughs> Drew, this is this I'm gonna is talk a about classic movie, and I really recommend you see it. We got the chance to see it on the big screen, 4K remastered edition. I'm really I'm I'm really happy that we went to this because I haven't seen Close Encounters since I was probably like in middle school like 12 13 years old i mean this is the first movie that spielberg made after jaws like jaws was his big break huge sensation like one of the first blockbusters ever and then he gets the money to make close encounters of the third kind an original screenplay by him like this is a film that's very grounded in his own experience as a filmmaker the character the main character of roy is a very manic sort of crazed man obsessed with his sighting of a ufo and you can really compare that to a filmmaker trying to make a film and finish a project well i thought it was really cool before the movie actually started i mean it was a little bit of spoilers if you'd never actually seen close encounters before but they had uh, some i mean really who, who famous... hasn't seen that <laughs> i mean come on, for guys. you um no but they had like really great directors like J.J. Abrams and Denis Villeneuve talk about how influential that movie was onto them and how much they just view that they view Close Encounters as a story about filmmaking. I mean, J.J. Abrams, you don't have to look very hard to find that he's a Spielberg guy. Oh yeah, he wants to be Spielberg so He loves that Spielberg. Even like after watching it and some of the things that Denis talks about in his... uh, in the clip they showed before the movie, you really can see the similarities between Close Encounters and Arrival. Mm-hmm. The whole concept of communication yeah. with a uh, like extraterrestrial life form and finding a way to connect with a life form that you have nothing in common with, and mm-hmm. finding this common ground in Close Encounters. Um, they show it as um, music. 
as these musical tones that I think they set it up as the aliens, they initiate the musical tones, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, they uh, they originally, the aliens come to, I believe it was India, yeah. where they were, and uh, you just have this amazing shot of all these like monks, monk-type people. Just chanting the tones. Just chanting yeah. the tones. And, uh, it's like four notes. Yeah, but five notes. Yeah. Well, what, two of them are the same well, note, yeah. I think. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Just to knock them um, apart. So how is the writing of the movie? Because it's one of the few Spielberg movies that he wrote, okay. as well as directed. So let me get into this a little bit. Looking at this movie now, after 40 years of people dissecting it and analyzing it, everyone seems to come to the same conclusion. And even Spielberg comes to this conclusion. That the main character of Roy is written in a way that is unaligned with the way Spielberg would write it now, being a father and a married man. Yeah, he, because you can tell he wrote this as a single male. Because <laughs> do you do you mind if I tell you what happens? It's just fucking do it. Are you sure? Do it. Are you <laughs> do it? Final answer. Sure. Okay, so the Roy character, the main character, he decides to go into the spaceship at the end of the movie. He leaves his family. And not only that, he has like a wife and a couple kids and it just comes across as really forced that there's this other, there's this female character who witnesses the uh, alien arrival with him and nobody, what's amazing about this movie is nobody believes his character, they all just kind of view him as a crazy person. These yeah. visions that he he's having. He even gets fired from his notes. job. And- yeah. But, and his wife views him that way. And then there's just this other woman who happened to be there with him whenever they saw this, these like lights in the ships first come by. And it comes across as really forced. Like, you don't really, they don't really have much chemistry throughout the entire movie. It's and just they a just, psychological connection from this. Yeah, but UFO then they just, experience. they kiss at the end of the movie. And you're like, well, what about your wife and kids, bro? Like, what's going on with them? I think I saw that kiss more as just Roy kind of being completely wrapped up in the whole alien thing that he just didn't even care anymore. Well, he became he was completely like, obsessed with it. Yeah, he was yeah. like, well, you're probably the last human woman I'm ever going to see ever, so why not give you a kiss? I'm bailing on this. I, I don't even care anymore. So I can see I what you mean in Earth. terms of that not being how he would write it today. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And he even says it himself. You know, He says that if he would have written this film after having a wife and kids, he would have not had Roy go in the spaceship and bail on his family. There would have been some redemption there where he learns the, that his, where his obsession has led him. I mean, and have some, that's, that's pretty cool though, to have that as like a timestamp of where he was at, because it's, it's obvious that he was just grinding his ass off through the sixties and Mm seventies, just making shit. He wrote most of the stuff that he wrote in the sixties. Yeah. Um, and then once, once he was a noted, you know, notable director, he kind of went hands off. Well, this was his second big movie. You know, it was Jaws right and Jaws. then this. Yeah. yeah. You know, he he was he was the guy back in the seventies. Like mm-hmm. there was no one like Spielberg. It was he made the blockbuster exactly. Like, he, he, he created it. the blockbuster before Star Wars. Yeah, that's the thing too. Like this movie came out before Star Wars, and they were able to create some of the most stellar space imagery you could have ever thought the of. The models with, are amazing. Yeah, very limited so technology. Cool. It's all practical just light tricks and and models and all of these insane things that i i can't even 
try to comprehend how they even accomplish half of these effects. It's insane yeah. because you can't just look at some some of the stuff in this movie and say, oh, they just made it on After Effects or they just made it in, in a computer. No, yeah, like, I mean, it's, it's strict- like 2001 where it's just, it yeah. gives you so much more of a greater appreciation just knowing these are all practical things it's, that you're yeah. watching. And the, the spaceships look beautiful, especially the mothership at the end. The, the imagery, because they go to Devil's Tower in Wyoming, this huge, you know, natural landmass. It's this, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Yeah. The shots of this Devil's Tower, which is where the alien encounter is happening, where all of the government people set up to try to make contact with these people. Some of the best shots I've oh, ever yeah. seen in any movie ever. It's insane. Like, they must have shot it there, right? Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. There's a... I mean, there's just, like, some really cool... Just everything... I think that it really, it really portrays the whole idea of obsession really well. Because... Both of the two uh, main lead characters, like they just keep having this vision of this mass, and even the the child who witnesses, they yeah. keep just seeing just a, a this, towering this mass. tower, and then you just see them because he just starts like sculpting shit in his house, and everybody thinks that he's crazy for it, but he's like just trying to nail this perfectly. What exactly this image is that he's seeing, and then suddenly they uh, the government like rules an evacuation from this whole area, and he sees a picture of devil's tower on the tv and it just all clicks for me it's like that's where it is yeah and i think that sequence when it's basically the peak of the contention between him and his family like he is just driving them crazy he doesn't understand what's happening to him he's struggling to get his wife to help him because he just he can't help it he doesn't know what these visions mean the things he's Mm -hmm. seen in his head and it's it's creating this division in his family and it gets to the point where they leave him. They are the ones that have to leave him. And we never see them again in the movie. Jeez. The last scene is when the wife takes the kids, puts them in the car, and she drives away. And he's pleading. He's jumping on the yeah. car trying to get them to stay. And it, it's it's an I emotional say, scene. Yeah, I will say, like, you you do really sympathize with the, his you wife and the characters. You feel sorry for him. Like You, you feel sorry for him, but you also sympathize with his family just she, because... Yeah, she's given no choice. This is a crazy like, he's person. He's literally... Yeah, he's losing his mind. Yeah. That's hard to make you do. To make you sympathize with everyone in a scene is really difficult. Yeah, and I, I think it, the toughest part is to sympathize with Roy because... From the beginning of the movie, he's not a good parent. He's not a good husband. He's already checked out. Like, he doesn't... We don't get much to tell us that he is a good guy, that he's a good parent and that's, a good husband. That's also, like, a 70s thing, I feel like. Dads were just pretty checked out back then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Captured the time. They were yeah. like, I work. Yeah, and I mean, that's another thing about watching this movie, you know, 40 years later, is all the the differences mm-hmm. culturally that, that you can pinpoint here and there i mean this is a uh, a film that somehow has stood the test of time and hasn't really aged as much as other films back in the 70s and you know even to this day we're still able to look at it and and see it as one of the great films well i mean luckily he didn't use any early cg type stuff because practical that would have aged really practical effects age well and spielberg is I think his biggest strength is his visuals. Yeah. Um, a, one video that we sh- I want to plug is the Every Frame of Painting episode on the Spielberg Wonner. 
Um, it's a great video series in general, but that'll tell you ex how intricate and how well planned every single shot that Spielberg uses. Actually, is. I was thinking of that video when I saw this film, just because you really got to keep that in mind when you're seeing a Spielberg film. He understands the frame like no one else. He understands that the frame is the only or, or the most important tool you have to convey information in a film. Everything you have within the frame is all you got and he uses every inch of yeah. the frame to like, its fullest potential watching a spielberg movie and then comparing it to something like an apatow comedy when where there is almost no respect to like shots and yeah. it's just mostly about what they're saying there's there's merit to that and what they're saying isn't necessarily bad but watching something like a spielberg after that you you come to appreciate the fact that oh this was like it's not like it, he just turned on the camera. Like he had this written mm -hmm. out for like months in advance. Like he knows where everything is happening. Yeah, and he just thinks of really creative ways to can to frame things and and put things in the foreground and the background and move the camera in a way that you know you you're maximizing the amount of information you're yeah. getting yeah. from a single shot. Jaws has some of the best one takes that I've ever seen. Yeah like so intricate there there will be like six moving people in it and like the blocking will change and the, the focus of the camera will change it's so incredibly complicated to do or even with something like uh saving private ryan how he didn't storyboard any part of that film all he did was take the camera onto the beach and he just went from there and built this frenetic just violent violent opening yeah. scene that's a crazy thing to hear about saving private ryan yeah. because that i mean i mean i don't know about the whole film i'm talking about the opening yeah, the, the uh, opening, opening scene, normandy yeah. scene. which is the most iconic scene yeah. of the whole movie that's the scene i've had teachers put that scene on to teach us about like what happens in a war mm -hmm. like it's that impactful so to do that on the fly i mean that was later into his career so he had his you know he had his yeah. hours in where he could just do I something mean, that's like that. the film that i always go to when people ask me what my favorite movie is i just instantly saving say private saving private ryan it's even though i good. wouldn't actually probably rank it number one doing a it's just like it's i mean well, it's one of the greatest movies ever made you can't go wrong with and that. it's not yeah and it may not be like the like objectively like best movie but it, to watch it's a it's one of yeah. my favorite movies to just watch like if it's on tv if it's on tnt i always like just leave it on especially when i was a kid i i remember watching that movie and thinking like being able to comprehend the weight of that film kind of made me feel like i was growing up like <laughs> like oh i can put away my lion king vhs tape i can just put the saving private ryan uh DVD very different in. film yeah and 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 just feel like i could you know absorb a higher level of cinema i think yeah. that we should we should definitely do a full spielberg episode I'd love closer to yeah. closer ready player one whenever that comes out oh, again like ready okay. oh because that'll Cinematic be his, his game changer his best work yet <laughs> <laughs> hey, shout man, out to colin uh, snyder he's coming out he's coming out with uh the post this year the post i, I think that's what it's called something the are, you sure, are you sure it's not just like in post starring right now? kevin james as the post no it's a meryl streep film the post it's in, it is in post right now, in post-production. <laughs> the post, in post. Starring Allison Brie, Tom Hanks, Meryl Streep, Sarah Paulson. Yeah, oh it has a fat cast. Jesse Plemons, Fat Damon. Ooh. 
Ooh. Carrie Coon, Leftovers. I mean, I'd love to go back. Oh, oh Carrie, Carrie Coon, Coon is in it? Yeah. That's cool. I am there. <laughs> <laughs> it's Okay, I'll read the logline. A cover-up that spanned four U.S. presidents pushed the country's first female newspaper publisher and a hard-driving editor to join an unprecedented battle between journalists and government, inspired by true events. Okay. Oh, that sounds yeah, interesting. It sounds like a Lincoln Spielberg, type thing. Spielberg has been doing that a lot in the past few years. Well, he'll release two movies in the same year, one of them being like a very, like, fan friendly just like something like you know like everybody can come to which i guess is gonna mm-hmm. be this year's ray player one and then he makes like an oscar type of movie that he right. knows can be like really just have a great all-star cast yeah. he's one of the all-time productive guys along with uh woody allen except without the pedophile part i don't know i can't Manhattan. watch Manhattan. i can't watch woody allen films I mean, the same way anymore <laughs> any hall is a great movie that's that's a timeless movie manhattan manhattan's is, a really good movie. yeah but it's very weird to watch in retrospect knowing that he actually is into 17 year old girls <laughs> yeah because that's, it's that's about it's about him being into a 17 year old girl <laughs> i mean yeah it's like when he wrote this film it was like oh it's a fiction yes what oh what no man why did my woody allen just sound like the tommy white song <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a fuck show. Yeah, it's Tommy mixed with like Kyle Mooney. Okay, all right. Oh. If we can, if we can get back to <laughs> close encounters from this Woody Allen talk, uh, another thing that I think that has made uh, Close Encounters age really well is, aside from some of the forced relationship is- issues, it's a incredibly well written movie and it's very realistic it never loses you no it You're doesn't always like and uh one thing that's one thing that's amazing is that just it's very realistic in how the government would actually react if an alien a- interaction ac- actually came they don't want to just say like oh aliens are coming to this location because that would cause a mass fucking no, panic the, the lengths that they go to cover up yes yeah. It, there's encounter. a really cool balance between like looking at this whole alien invasion between from the government perspective and from like just the normal person perspective, just a guy in Indiana who actually like witnessed stuff. So not like Independence Day, which has hey. the most fucking absurd government hey. reaction. The president's like, no, fuck it. I'm going to fly an F-16 into the fucking spaceship. <laughs> not, not I don't just, care. Not just fly an F-16, but hack the aliens yeah I gotta, well i gotta hack the asteroid yeah they hack the aliens and put malware into their spaceship see, hot see, take of the week that movie sucks <laughs> hey fuck off bro that's a fun movie welcome to earth jeff goldblum hacks a fucking alien it's just silly <laughs> hey maybe they in independence day they should just try to communicate with the aliens through music they could have just solved all their problems they would have been like oh yeah no we're just trying to yeah we're just trying to chill guys we're just trying to chill man uh so spielberg i'm just parsing through his imdb at this point but he's eping the halo tv series oh that's been in development hell for for so long 10 years yeah like for so it does not have a date uh, even a year on imdb yeah i was actually i was scrolling through the imdb of spielberg the other day do you know that he helped write for the medal of honor games yeah. Fun fact. He has a few game credits on I him. I don't yeah. think he actually helped write that. He, he came, probably just put his name on it. Characters. Yeah, like characters written by... I guess. Is like one of the credits. I mean, I don't know how much how much involvement he is, but it's weird that there's like a period of time in the early 2000s in which he wasn't doing any movies, and you're like, is this just what he was doing? He yeah. was really trying to get in on the Medal of Honor games. We gotta rewatch a bunch of his movies before we do our deep dive. I, I would yeah. love to rewatch Raiders, Schlinger's List... Um, I just picked up Jaws on Blu-ray. If you guys want to have a Hook? Jaws party, 
Hook anyone? Hey, I like Hook. The Terminal? Hook gets Warhorse? so much shit. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Actually, I actually like The Terminal. It gets so much shit, but it's I've a fun movie. I've never seen The Terminal. My grandma really likes it. Yeah. Okay. If that makes you feel better. Oh, like, man. It's, Drew's it's grandma like, likes it, then I'm Tom in. Tom Hanks Shouts plays to like Mimi. a Russian guy, like Eastern European oh, God, guy. Oh, he's such a bitch. Also, as long as we're doing an app on him, it's worth noting he EP'd both Pinky and the Brain and Animaniacs. I don't know how involved he was in those shows. Probably barely. He has EP credits on every single episode of both of those shows. I mean, he, huh. he EP'd Transformers, and we also have that hey. turned out. Uh, incredibly. Thank you very much. Is he like still an EP on Transformers? Hell no. He's, no, oh, he, thank God he got he was out. An, he was an EP on Age of Extinction. Oh, Yo, no, he still puts his name on it, but he doesn't actually. I mean, yeah, he gets he a check no from it, but yeah. he doesn't do anything. Uh, that's a that's a really smart move because he's going to make a shit ton of money off of it. Yeah, yeah he was he's EP on like, the last night this year. Rest in peace. All right, to wrap up our Close Encounters talk, I think, Hunter, you wanted to talk a little bit about how many re-release yeah. movies you've seen. I just wanted to say, like, because I realized this whenever we were driving or, like, before, whenever I was driving over here to pick you up so we could go to the movie, I was just thinking, like, I've seen so many re-released movies in the last year. Like, it's insane how many movies. Going back to, I saw Space Jam, I think that was last year, like, a re-release of the Pokemon movie, Rosemary's Baby, Blue Velvet got re-released uh, right around the time that uh, Twin Peaks was coming well, back on. I mean, in my opinion, and it's not a very bold opinion, but a re-release is always, almost always better than a remake. Always. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, it was great. It was time. amazing seeing yeah, all these exactly. movies in a theater. Yeah. So as far as trends go and what's going on in movies, that's fine. But it's still a little bit disappointing just because it's like, okay, well, theaters aren't making money off of new movies, so let's just yeah. re-release the same IP and hope Yeah, there were make- literally no people at this showing of Close Encounters. <laughs> like, there was one other person other than To be us. fair, it was like... Not it's it was going for like two weeks straight, yeah. and it was like a ten thirty showing. But there was one other person in the theater with yeah. us. I mean, you know, people they just don't want to go to the movies anymore, and theaters will do anything to get. But maybe and Movie seats. Pass will do mm-hmm. something about that. Oh, by so the way, guys, my Movie Pass came in. Oh, Ayo. what does it look like? Um, Are we like going to get sponsored by Movie Pass? That would be awesome if they just paid for my Movie we Pass love you, every movie week. Pass. I mean, I'm going to hope that I can use it at some point, like in the next week, if yeah. all of Orlando is an underwater or yeah. out of power. There is a good chance that Florida may be like completely underwater pretty soon. That so. would be good for this Jaws. Is, this is what Movie Pass looks like, by the way. Sweet MasterCard. Wow, oh, it, it listeners, um, it, it, if you close your eyes, you can imagine Drew holding imagine a movie pass. Imagine a red card that says in white font, movie pass. Yeah, and then the number on it is 533. <laughs> 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 oh, sorry. <laughs> if it was Hunter's, I would do it. Um, but speaking of, really quick, speaking of uh, Spielberg alien movies, what do you guys think of, I'm going to skip E.T. because that's been talked oh, about. Oh, it's a classic. Yeah, Su- Super 8, e. though. I, I like Super Eight. Well, that's a that's a it's JJ not, film. Yeah, it's it's not yeah, a, but it's a it's a Spielberg EP. Oh, um, I like that movie. It has its issues. It's basically JJ just trying to be Spielberg really, really. Oh, JJ hard. trying to be ET. Yeah, <laughs> in a lot of ways, for real. But hey, um, what's his name? Uh, the Kyle Chandler is the lead. Uh, the dad. He does a good job in it, and all the kids are good for the most part. They all do really good performances. Yeah. You got um, I think it's a fine movie. Kyle Chandler, like yeah. it's definitely. I mean, I could see how JJ got famous off of that movie, just because it shows like a lot of like he has like the big movie 
Like I mean, he's yeah, got the, it has the it, it has the big feel. It yeah. has the big like it has the childhood kind of coming of age. Feel. Did he go straight from that to Star Trek? Uh, no. What I did he have so. in between? He did um, Mission Impossible Three. That's right. He did actually. Do I think, that was his first movie. Yeah, Mission Impossible. 3. I think it was Mission Impossible Three, then Super Eight, then. We should do a Mission Impossible deep dive. Yeah, we can well, skip mission, over two because Mission two is, Six is coming uh, out next year. Okay, so we got to gear up for that. But you guys have never seen the new, the newer Mission movies, right? I have not. Nope. Yeah, those I think I've seen are, part of Ghost Protocol. So good. I don't think I've Simon seen Pegg wrote uh, like helped write both of them. Yeah, I mean, I like I remember renting from a from my local library the Mission Impossible movies as a child. So I need to I need to get back into them. We should just devote a podcast to things that we're gonna do future podcasts to. <laughs> yeah, let's just list like a bunch of topics for an hour. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, I mean, if you think back to the CrossPod last week, you know, we brushed over a lot of those movies. Like, it would have been a four-hour podcast. It would have if we would have actually done a deep. Guys, dive. I never no, got answers. I never got answers from you. Favorite Disney princess, real quick. Oh yeah, we never got to that, did we? Yeah, you were like falling asleep while we were recording. Oh man, I I gotta say, probably Jasmine. Weak as fuck. You're just picking her because she's brown. <laughs> oh my god, Jesus Christ! True colors, huh? <laughs> um, Cinderella's pretty fucking boring. <laughs> Uh, Actually, pick one like, that's not a complete damsel in distress. I okay. I just saw Moana for the first time. I love that movie. Well, does, is she a princess though? Does Mulan? I mean, Mulan I mean, counts, she's a, she's a, right? Mulan's pretty dope. Yeah, no, Mulan's dope as fuck. Yeah. Have you guys seen Moana? No. Yeah, no. Moana's amazing. You have never seen Moana? No. It's a really Moana's good great. movie. I gotta see it. I'd, I'd say Moana is better than Frozen. I would agree really? with that. Hot take. Not really that. Do you want to build a, a snowman? It's like a lukewarm take. Uh, my mine is definitely Belle, because Belle is a strong, okay. independent woman okay. who don't need no beast in her life. But, but except she then does. she does. Except she, she does. does. No, but she didn't need the beast. The beast was like, "Hey, I kind of need you in my life." Oh, yeah, that's beautiful. Can we just like end it on that? Yeah, no. we'll end it on Hunter being a sweetie pie. All right, guys, let's just oh, uh, let's sweetie. let's plug it up before we sign out. Um, keep sending us your mail, fan mail, hate mail. Uh, questions, feedback, anything you got, throw it at us. Leave us a glowing five star review on iTunes. Subscribe. Us, if you want to sponsor stuff. us, send us all of your money. Yeah, send us products. your send us your underwear, your mattresses. We will plug the shit out of it. I promise. We will do a whole podcast, an hour and a half long, yeah. of just a plug for you. Shout out to uh, honestly Dav out there. We're about to. We're about to absorb you. Guys watched, you. you guys watched honestly Luna. Yeah, yeah. His newest yeah. I really like the high concept. Yeah, um, the him talking to himself. Some, yeah, some David in a dual role. Yeah, he will <laughs> soon be absorbed by our honestly media conglomerate. Um, he's basically bracing for it. Yeah. He's taking the brand on. Well, yeah. Shout out to Dav. Um, you can follow this podcast at We Bought a Mic on Instagram. Oh, also shout out to our sister podcast. Who, of course, if you still haven't listened to it. Now we're about to end. Let us get through our plugs. And after you send us some very sweet or hateful mail, then go over and check out our combo doggy pod at the Snyder Colin podcast. Yeah, part one is over at their pod. And give them a part sub. Two is... Give them a sub. Give them a listen through their stuff. Yeah. Listen through like the first five episodes. Yeah. If, really if you're one of those quality. people that listens to like one podcast, though, it's, it's still going to be us, right? Yeah. Like, don't. Yeah. 
Don't just like yeah. Leave. Come on, fuck if Mark like, Marin. Okay, if you <laughs> if you guys like freeform jazz in your podcast, then you will love the Snyder Colin podcast. All right, I'm at Caldernist on Twitter and Instagram. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm tweeting about the hurricane right now. I'm freaking out. <laughs> We're all gonna die. Do you guys think that the hurricane is a sign that this is like the apocalypse? We're gonna start a war, and yeah. the hurricane's gonna Do, swallow us whole. Doesn't the government control the weather, and yeah. they're punishing like all the homosexuals? Al Gore is just like riding this hurricane. Like I told you guys, I told this was told you this was gonna happen. Now I'm gonna have to fucking kill everybody. Yeah. <laughs> all right, you guys got anything to plug? Uh, yeah. Uh, follow me on Twitter. I guess I mostly retweet things, but hey, sometimes I have like original thoughts. Sometimes. It is at Hunt Mobley, H-U-N-T-M-O-B-L-E-Y. Just, you know, send me some shit and it'll be cool. All right. I'm at Drew Dietzen, spelled like Diet Zen on every single thing because no one else has that name that I know of. That's uh, the brand, bro. So, yeah, so eat shit, guys. All right. Thanks there, for is, listening, everyone. Is there a Hunter Mobley? Actually, there is a Hunter Mobley on Twitter already, which kind of bummed me out. So I had to be Hunt Mobley. I know cool. it's I know it's kind of lame. It's kind but of I guess it anyway. works. Yeah, yeah. You know, I love hunting so much. Uh, is there anything else you guys want to talk about? No, I or, think uh, we can call it a day. It's been a nice chill pod, a nice uh, alternative to the craziness of the last two pods. So. It's been real, guys, you know? Yeah, we'll see Hopefully we won't all die from this hurricane. Yeah, this might be the, the series finale of yeah, us. for all we know. If all of our mics go underwater. Yeah, maybe the next one will be uh, from the bottom of the ocean. If we can, uh, you know, save we all our... We swam to a mic. Exactly. All right. Take all right. it easy. Bye, guys. Take care. Be safe out there. Oh, no. That's creative. Oh, you know it is. Never done this before. Well, I regret everything now. We bought up my Oh boy. Yeah! We bought up my Oh! We started so strong with the ska <laughs> music, and now we just devolved. Oh, I can do ska. Do we need to edit this out and put some ska in here? No, no, no. Just, just goodbye. Queuing up gold.